I wanted to talk to you for just a few moments at the first of this program about the fact that Christianity is under systematic attack in the Western world, the Western culture, and in America particularly. But as I came into the studio, I was thinking perhaps maybe it would be good to back up just a moment and ask the question, why is it that Christianity itself is under widespread attack, not only in America, but also across the world? Why is it the case that Christianity, the Bible, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, why is it that Christianity has been under assault? And throughout history, that's always been the case. Well, one thing we might think about is this. Christianity is, of course, a set of moral values. But it is much deeper, and it is really more than that. If, if that's all that it was, a set of moral values, that is, if Christianity was nothing more or less than the Sermon on the Mount and additions to moral code that we have, then it would be very difficult to understand why anybody would attack Christianity because even Jews, non-Christians, pagans, even they recognize the superiority of the code of morals, the moral ethical standard that Christianity presents. But that doesn't answer the question why Christianity is persecuted. And the reason is because Christianity is, first and foremost, it is not simply a moral code. It is not simply an ethical standard of conduct. It is, first and foremost, an historical message. It is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ, who invaded history. God invaded history with the Incarnation. And the historical facts of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, these are the facts that make up Christianity. This is the essence of Christianity. It's not simply a moral code. It's not simply moral teachings, although it includes that. But Christianity is, in its very essence, the heart of it, is the historical facts of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection after God invaded history with the Incarnation. So God sent his only begotten Son into the world. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God invaded history. But not only that, we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-4, through 4, where Paul tells us very plainly that the essence of Christianity is the death burial, and resurrection of Christ. I make known unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you believed, wherein also you stand, by which also you were saved. If you hold fast the gospel which I preached unto you, except you believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all that which also I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then he appeared to above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain until now. Some were falling asleep. And so he goes on with that, but he tells us in the first four verses that the essence of Christianity is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And it is these facts that change the world. Consequently, Christianity is under assault, not only in America, but also many other places. But we're thankful that at this time of the year that people turn their attention to the Incarnation and that is the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And that is, of course, something that changed world history. But now let's turn our attention to why is it and how is it the case that Christianity is under seemingly 
systemic attack in America. There's an article by Selwyn Duke in the New American, latest New American magazine, and he has a lot of good points in it, but he does outline some things regarding the historical attacks against Christianity that we need to know. But one of the things that we perhaps ought to preface the remarks by is that reaching back into history, you'll notice that even in the ancient Rome or ancient Roman era, Christianity was under assault and Christians were considered to be, and it's interesting to note that they were called atheists. Well, they were called atheists, not because they did not believe in God, the one God of the Bible, but because they did not believe in the pagan gods of Rome. And so Romans considered them to be the haters of humanity. The French revolutionaries changed the weekday, that is, we're talking about in Rousseau's period, the French Revolution, they changed the weekdays in order that they might eliminate Sunday, the day of worship, the Lord's Day, as it is called in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. Mexico's revolutionaries also had anti-clerical laws in the 1930s, and it just goes on and on, exactly the same thing. For example, Spain's Red Terror in the 1930s also, they executed thousands upon thousands of religious people, people who claimed to be Christians. In the Soviet Union, people who preached Christ were incarcerated. The Nazis replaced Christianity with a neo-pagan religion. And so on it goes in history. And in America today, that is exactly the trajectory that we are on, and that Christianity is being persecuted broadly and widely at the same time that paganism is beginning to step into its place. Take, for example, 1987. Andres Serrano one taxpayer award, a taxpayer a funded award, I should say, for a photograph of a crucifix in a bottle of urine. Outraged Christians were told this. Well, you have to fund it, that is with your tax money, but you don't have to look at it. If you don't like it, don't look at it. How many times have you been told that? If you don't like it, don't look at it. Pornography, for example. You don't like it, don't look at it. That doesn't work across the board, does it? Look what's going on in Canada right now. Canadian preachers arrested for saying homosexuality is sinful. That's exactly how they're lining it up in California. If you say homosexuality is sinful, then you're going to be arrested or you're going to be taken off the air. Or that you're not, are you going to lose your license if you're a counselor and saying that we're going to practice what is called conversion therapy? They're going to remove your license. That's in California. Whatever happened to the attitude, if you don't like it, don't look at it. Well, if you don't like the message, don't listen to it. No, that doesn't work here, you see because there's a one-sided war, and the war is against Christianity, against Christ. 1996, Chris Ophelia created a warped image entitled Holy Virgin Mary and adorned it with pornographic images and elephant dung. At the time, in New York, mayor, the mayor was Rudy Giuliani. He tried to pull public funding for the exhibit, but he was stopped by the district court, no? And their attitude was, if you don't like it, don't look at it. 2015, Garland, Texas. Remember, we have the Draw Muhammad cartoon contest there, Pamela Geller sponsored. The violence was stopped. There, is, there were people, Muslims coming with guns to do violence against Pamela Geller, Geller and others. But I thought this was interesting. Donald Trump responded this way. He said, well, why are they drawing Muhammad anyway? As if to say, don't do those things. You see the double standard? Well, don't do those things if... If the, if the Muslims are going to be offended by it, don't do it. Does it work that way with Christianity? Does it work that way with 
Jesus Christ in the Bible? Absolutely not. No, it is the Bible that is in the crosshairs. 2013, Phil Robertson was suspended by A&E Network for expressing that homosexuality is a sin. Whatever happened to the attitude, just don't listen to it. Don't, don't watch the program if you don't like it. No, no, absolutely not. That doesn't work here, you see. That only works if you're publishing filth, pornography, anti-Christian material. Then they'll say, well, then, you know, you don't have to look at it. You don't have to listen to it. Don't turn, turn the channel if you don't like it. Well, why didn't they do that? Why didn't we say that? Why didn't our culture say to Phil Robertson, that's fine, you go ahead, that's freedom of speech, and A&E keep you on the air, and if people don't like it, they don't have to watch it. No, no, it doesn't work that way, does it? No, it doesn't work that way when you're talking about the sin of homosexuality. 2013, Aaron and Melissa Klein, owner of Sweet Cakes in Oregon, refused to make a wedding cake for a same-sex couple. Lesbians sued, the clients lost, and they lost their business. Whatever happened to, if you don't like it, don't go, don't go to that shop. Don't patronize that sweet cakes. 2019, just a few years ago, the California State Assembly passed a resolution called ACR 99, pressuring clergy and educators to cease preaching against lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender lifestyles. Stop it. And they discourage people from practicing conversion therapy, as mentioned a moment ago. Now, though the resolution has no, at this time, as far as I know, no force of the law, the next step is for California to enact punitive measures for noncompliance. It is the goal of ACR 99, writes one website. This is, by the way, the Capital Resource Institute analysis of the bill. They say it is the goal, listen to this, of the ACR 99 to eventually criminalize one's choice to seek counseling and other services. That is going to criminalize it. If you tell people that homosexuality is sinful and you're trying to convert them to Christ, then they're going to penalize you for conversion therapy. How about the National Education Association? Partnered with Human Rights Campaign, a pro-sodomy group, to create welcoming schools and to play along with gender confusion games for children. Teachers in Virginia have already been fired for refusing to refer to a girl using male pronouns and vice versa if those children want it that way. What's happening is a systematic, a systemic attack against Christianity. It's going on all across this country. Montana, the refusal to allow religious schools to access its state scholarship program in New York. New law forces pro-life groups to hire pro-abortion employees. Forces. You notice that's what the left loves, forces. In Virginia, a realtor is persecuted by her state's real estate board for using Christian references in digital communication. In Pennsylvania, the National Guard, a unit there, tried to ban Christian groups from touring its facility. In Florida, a soup kitchen was told to remove Christian banners and stop giving out Bibles or risk losing USDA funding. In California, Hemet, California, two ministers were arrested for reading the Bible aloud on the sidewalk outside of the DMV building. San Francisco recently created a blacklist of 22 states with strong pro-life laws. And think about the pro-evolution that is taught continually in the public schools, not given an answer, which, of course, that is easily answered. 
All of these things and more also show us that we are living in an anti-Christian, an anti-Christian culture that is pro-pagan. But the good news is that the Bible still stands, even though it has been assaulted for over 2,000 years. The Bible still stands like the Rock of Gibraltar, and it is an anvil upon which many a hammer has been worn out. We'll be back in a moment. You know, of all of the people that I've had on the show and all the people that I would like to have on the show, the, the man that I believe is really the greatest spokesman is none other than my younger brother, Scott Lockwood. Uh, ever, since, ever since we were young boys, Scott has had a great line on what's taking place in America, great foresight, and it's just a great privilege to have him on the show. And I, um, Scott has been in so, so many command positions. It's really, it's really great. I can go on all day about him. But I, I did want to tell you that I have several things in mind that we want to talk about. And I'm, I just told him, I said, we'll just call this random thoughts on the passing scene. There's just a lot of things that are taking place. As everybody knows, uh, the border's being crashed. And we have uh, the government spying on Americans through Twitter and suppressing information. There's a lot of things we're going to talk about. But, Scott, thanks for taking time out of your Christmas holiday season to be here and help me out. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, Bill. Appreciate it. Just uh, really great to talk with you and, uh, and to be uh, to be able to be on the show. It's, uh, I, I hate the introduction that you give. I don't, I don't know that I've nearly hold a candle to the people that you've had, but uh, I'll do my best and <laughs> try to stay within some of the lanes of at least the experience that I've had anyway. Well, you know what? And I didn't add this, but I wanted to, and that is your gospel preacher. You know, you've been a great Christian and gospel leader, a, a leader in the faith and a preacher of the gospel in the pulpits for a long, long time too. And so I think that, you know, when people have that uh, biblical vision, then they are able to see the, the sights about what's happening a lot clearer than other people. So let's just start with, uh, I was talking to you on the phone the other day, and I thought this was uh, so enlightening. But, you know, our border, of course, number one, what are your thoughts on the border, generally speaking, right now? I mean, it's it's just the great gates are crashing, aren't they? Well, you know, I, I'm not even sure how anybody with a rational mind, with a straight face, can say anything about open borders. There, ha- there's, there's, There's no sovereignty in a nation with open borders. And when we talk about sovereign states, you know, we, we go through customs and immigration all the time. And my job, we go in and out of different countries all the time. And, you know, the bottom line assumption is, and by, by law, is that every sovereign country is able to control that customs and immigration policy that they have. And everyone does. Even when you're allowed to go in, there are certain stipulations that you have to uh, meet because the country, you know, deems it necessary. They can... Uh, they could just let you in with a general declaration, which means these are the people coming in. These are their visas. Uh, they can have a customs declaration, which means do you have any fruits, nuts, vegetables that, you know, yeah. if you, they could. They could keep <clears throat> us all on the airplane and just say, you know what, um, we're going to do a random check and we're going to search everybody's baggage and, and things here. And they are absolutely able to do that. Or they could just turn the plane around and say, uh, you know, we, we don't let you off because that's what happens basically when you divert. You know, within airlines, when and you go into another country and they're not ready, even though we may have regular scheduled flights into that country somewhere else, uh, just because you're not a scheduled carrier that day going in there, you've been a divert. They can keep you all on the airplane all day long and just say, "Well, we're not letting you off. We'll refuel you. 
we'll do, you know, we'll give you more water, whatever, but you're gonna, we're going to get you on your way. That's just the basic understanding of nation states. It always has been. Uh, it's, just, it's just silly to think that we're in a situation where people want to argue um, I remember, and, and, you know, we, <laughs> there's so many smoke screens that are being thrown up. You know, I, I talked to a friend of mine the other day and, uh, I'm going to use him a lot as an example. Cause I think he's just uh, kind of a testimony to what's happening, but he claims to be conservative. He was in the military for years, but he went off to Oxford to get his PhD. That was mistake number one. And then I thought, okay, here we go. And sure enough, uh, you know, he teaches at Oxford now sometimes, but we, we talk about the borders. I said, well, what do you think about the borders? You know, and he, he went right to the wall, and he said, Scott, the wall's not the answer. And, yeah. and I thought, well, I haven't, even, I haven't even said anything about the wall. I'm just, I'm just talking about the fact that, uh, you know, we have an encouraged, we have, we have an administration, and, and, and half, of the, half of the government has encouraged this, this mass migration without control, without stopping it whatsoever, because it somehow feeds into their ideology. Um, but you look back in history, Bill, and you know that's what Assyria did when they went over and took over a country to make sure they stamped out all the any kind of uh, you know uprisings, rebellions in that country and that nation state. Even when they became weak, was they would move in thousands of immigrants into those countries after they took them over, and then they would put up and stand up their little puppet regime or whatever, and whoever's controlling it. And that's been happening. We're talking about 500 B.C. now. <laughs> yeah. Back in 500 B.C., they knew how to get rid of a country and a culture and a people, and it was very effective. And so even <clears throat> when Cyrus came to power and let the Jews go back to their homeland, you remember what a dismal thing that happened. Even when he said, okay, you can go back, we're going to send some gifts back to the temple, you rebuild, there you go, return to your country— Listen, for another 90 years, they were getting kicked around and just uh, the rubble of society because the provincial governments that be around them that had the power, they had no political power, they weren't allowing them to have their freedom and, and sovereignty. And so they were just a subjugated people, even under God's promise that says, I'm going to let a remnant return uh, under Jerusalem where I put my name, and that's exactly what happened to them. I don't know why anybody would argue about that. We are losing our country simply, simply just because of the mass migration that's happening, and it's all it has to do with culture, and when people talk about they want to throw little words around and phobias and all that, well, that would be, you just might as well make up a, a word that says, you know, a, a phobia of losing your country, and, and that's exactly what's happening, because... Uh, and it's not a you know unfounded fear; it's just a reality, and that's well, that's really you, where we are. You know, I was thinking. Um, I think some of the, the statistics I've read of something like expecting seven thousand to ten thousand people per day. Have I, I thought how how can any country sustain itself with that kind of influx of people representing different cultural ideas? I just I don't see it. No, no, not at all. And, you know, when you get, you get those guys from Mexico, particularly in the drug cartels from Central America up here, they already know they've, can, they've got the free run of the streets because you've got more and more crime just growing out of middle America just because we don't have, you know, there's always in society, it's not just about law enforcement. You know, in society, societies exist because most, 
people, most people, maybe 80% of the population, just think it's a great idea to obey the law. They want to get along in a peaceful way and fashion with their fellow neighbors, and that's what makes up society. Then you only have to deal with the 10 and the 20% out there with law enforcement. But that is no longer the case. It, even though law enforcement has been defunded and all those ridiculous ideas, we're really in trouble anyway because you've got more than that going on where people have feel like, okay, we've got the run of the streets. We can get by with this. We can do that. We've got a revolving door of justice. We've got these uh, you know, woke justices that are letting people out right and left in every state of the union. And so they just go back out and they plague people, even though they got rap sheets a mile long. And it's like, well, you, you just can't, this is unsustainable. And then you bring up the drug cartels and people that have real power, real networks, real organizations. They're not just out to try to steal a few cars and take right. them down to Florida where they've got the Florida ring there with the Dodge Challengers and all that stuff that's going on. You've got real problems, and that's really what's happening. I mean, we're just and, – and the sad, the real sad thing about this is, is in the end, the leftists are going to lose the kind of power they think they're gaining. They think they're gaining all this power, so they're, so they're just salivating about all of this immigration and everything – well, they're going to lose it themselves because they're not going to be able to control the drug cartels any more than anyone else is. And then they're going to they're going to sit around crying and wondering what happened. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, you know, I, <clears throat> I don't look forward to that day, but <laughs> that is exactly what it appears to was going to be taking place. Um, you know, when I asked you the other day about the National Guard, I thought, no, OK, why? And I've been really struggling with this. Why has not the governor of now within since we talked on the phone earlier this week, the Texas governor Abbott did send down National Guard. I don't know if they've got bullets in the guns or not. I have no idea. But I thought, why haven't the state National Guards been sent down there to stop this nonsense? Well, you know that's that that is really the question, right? And they and and I don't have all the answers. I'm not a lawyer. I don't predict as, you know, I'm not going to pretend that I know the law. But I will say that what this country has been through, um, particularly post, you know, Revolutionary War days, we came up, the, the founding fathers, the Constitution, all the values, all the ideals of America stood a particular stance and said, we will not have a federal force that has law enforcement duties and, 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 and able to go around and uh, kick doors in and do whatever they want and occupy houses. And, and at post-Reconstruction in the Civil War era, post-Reconstruction, uh, they really didn't want that. And they said, hey, well, you know, we're going to pass this, what we call the posse comitatus, which is really everybody recognizes the word posse. That's where you would round up citizens, you would deputize them, you go out and enforce the law. And that's really what the National Guard is. But they said, uh, we're not going to have federal forces do that. It's called posse comitatus. And so uh, federal forces, even though they're, they may be very effective for, you know, uh, a show of force, they don't have any authority over the country. Now, when we talk about the National Guard under the governor and they're on state status, they have law enforcement capability and they have authority under the governor. Now, what, for instance, let me just, we'll just talk through a scenario real quick so everybody kind of gets their, their constitution here. 
during Katrina, when that thing went down, there was a General Landrino who was the adjutant general for the governor of Louisiana. And even though they had lost total control, mostly, uh, not General Landrino, but the governor and the mayor of, uh, of, you know, New Orleans there, they told President Bush, we need everything you have. He says, you want me to come in and take over? It looks awful. No, we, we don't want you taking over because that will make us look bad. You're a Republican, we're a Democrat, we're not going to have you do that. So they said, and then he says, okay, you don't want me to take over? What do you need? They said, everything you have, every, which is a very odd request, you know, to say yeah. we just need every <clears throat> bit of resources. Because, in other words, we've totally failed, but we don't want Oprah Winfrey to know about it. So <laughs> we sent in everything we had. We sent in everything we had. Now, as we're working this, the National Guard troops on the ground were able to chamber rounds into the chamber and put, you know, put magazine clips in their in their uh, guns because, you know, they're National Guard. And they were under General Landerno, who answered to the governor. And so they're able, under state status, to have law enforcement capability. But the minute General Honore, Raging Cajun, you know, stepped off the helicopter with the 82nd Airborne, he looked like he was taking over the operation. He had no authority whatsoever and the 82nd Airborne did not have any bullets in their guns because they could not because of the constitutional prohibitions and posse comitatus. Now, even though General Landerno stepped off the helicopter and said, hey, uh, you know, told the National Guardsmen, put your weapons down, those are U.S. citizens, um, whatever, and I, and I forget the significance of it, what, you know, were they trying to guard the supply lines and depot or something that the <clears throat> citizens were about to raid or whatever, but... Uh, we knew that all the police and, you know, not all, but many of the police had taken their badges off and joined the looters. And so we had a big problem. But when he said that, the, the real interesting part to America is that we should understand those National Guardsmen could have turned on him and said, uh, no, sir, you shut your mouth. I don't answer to you. And if you keep talking, we're going to put you in zip ties and put you back in <laughs> your helicopter. Mm-hmm. He had no authority there. And they had all the law enforcement authority, even though. That's not what it looked like to the public. Now, we have, um, you know, certain people, we've had to have dual-hatted commanders where we could take a General Landrino, let's say, and make him a dual-hatted commander where he would answer to the president and control Title Ten forces, which are the federal forces, and he can control also the National Guardsmen under state status and wear a state hat and answer to the governor. And that we've done. And then, of course, the... Uh, the Ivy Leaguers and the Brennan Law Center get it all wrong about uh, what was happening with, say, President Trump and what the, you know, when St. John's was burning during a mostly peaceful demonstration and they were throwing Molotov cocktails and he was just doing a show of force. They try to use that as an example of an abuse of power, but that actually was not, and that was a dual-hatted commander in the D.C. area hmm. because they had sent in other National Guardsmen under Title Ten and um, they thought, or National Guardsmen or state status, and they thought, well, you know, they don't, they don't answer to President Trump. Then they found out they were, they were under a dual-headed commander, and so they, they kind of made a big deal out of that. But anyway, so to make a long, the, the end of it is, let's say a governor pulls the National Guard out, sends them down to the border. They could have law enforcement capability. Of course, you're going to have a lot of lawyers say, well, no, that's, a, you know, immigration is federal, and that's a federal border and all that. Um, and that's, you know, obviously that's complicated enough, but what would happen easily is that the president of the United States would activate those forces, pull them under title 10. And that's 
exactly what John F. Kennedy did in 1963 in June when, when Wallace was using the National Guard or wasn't using the National Guard either way, but he was continuing to segregate even though, you know, after Brown versus Board of Education there in Kansas. So, uh, or, so anyway, when, what happened, yeah, and so Wallace was, well, the, the decision was in Kansas, right? I guess Brown versus Board of Education. Oh, okay, or was okay. That I'm sorry. Anyway, yeah. anyway <clears throat> the, uh, Governor Wallace was going to try to enforce segregation, which had already been deemed unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. Well, what happened was then JFK then just took and federalized the the National Guard, put them under Title Ten, and that would be equivalent of saying, okay, they're working for the governor one day, saying we're not going to let you in Tuscaloosa, and then the next day they turn their guns back on General and Governor Wallace and say, oh, okay, now we're working for the president. You've got to stand down. That's kind of, that's what happened. Yeah. He, he he immediately had to capitulate. I see. Uh, okay, Scott. You know what I. Um, talked about the border a little bit, and uh, that is helpful information. I haven't heard a whole lot about that watching uh, different commentators on television. But uh, let me just shift gears here for a moment. I do want to talk about the culture because you really good uh, thoughts. You have really great thoughts about the culture and what's taking place. And um, one of the areas I really distress about is that uh, the culture seems to be collapsing, and yet. <clears throat> preachers of the gospel do not seem to be addressing it. Uh, pulpits just are pretty quiet on the issue, and it just, I, I guess that's the experience that you find in Alabama or elsewhere is also, but what is the problem here? Well, I, you know what? It, it is hard to, to try to define exactly what is the problem here, and I think that, you know, it is sad to think that the church has, has really gotten out of the culture business, has gotten out of politics, has capitulated the entire battlefield and said, hey, we're just about, uh, you know, winning souls. And and yet, you know, we realize that there was a, you know, much greater influence that the church has had over cultures, societies, um, you know, and civilization altogether. I mean, that's what divides the West from the East. It's not, you yeah. know, mm. it, it wasn't... It's not skin color, socioeconomics, and all that nonsense that the Marxists love to bring up. But what really divided the world and had had made a different, you know, progress out of Europe was is really the fact that they were closer to the Bible in some way, shape, or form than the rest of the world, and that made all the difference. And now we're uh, we're in a situation where we feel like we just, uh, you know, nobody could really care less, and and it's just, you know, and another thing too is they, <clears throat> I think there are a lot of people that. Um, I think doctrinal error and biblical thinking on this has kind of gone awry, whereas, for instance, people will say, well, you know, the powers that be are, the, are God's will. And they'll say, well, God's in control. Well, you know, that was like, uh, that would have been like telling, you know, Nehemiah when Nehemiah said, okay, we, we know what we're up against, and uh, we've got enemies without, and they're threatening us. They want to come and fight. We've got enemies within telling us that they're too tired to, to work. And we've got Jews without that have already capitulated to uh, the Samaritans. And they're just telling us, hey, you guys need to come out here with us and kind of integrate. He has all of that. And so, and then he says he prays and then sets a watch. And when he set that watch, it was more than people were just with open eyes losing sleep. It was people with swords and shields ready to go hand to hand and tooth on neck 
and Thumb and I kind of fighting, even though he had all the faith in the world that they were doing God's will, and they had prayed to God about it. And it's just like God had told Joshua. He says, now I'm going to let you go into this country. I want you to be strong and be of good courage. And he says, into the land that I give you. And then, But then he told Joshua, he said, you better be strong and good courage, because you're going to cause this people to inherit this land, and these are the things you're going to have to do to get it. And every time they went against that, they ended up losing anyway and losing ground. And really, so I'm not sure, but I feel like that's part of it. We just we, we sit back, we see this overwhelming, uh, you know, conflict, and uh, things are, you know, a lot of friction and things that we're challenged with that we seem to think that are insurmountable. And so people are just like, well, it's God's will. We're just going to sit back and take care of our, our bailiwick, not understanding really the the entire thing that, you know, it's kind of hard to uh, convert souls when you get to a certain situation in society where uh, they've just gone over so far mm-hmm. away from God. And that does have to do with souls, and it does affect the way people think and the way their rational mind thinks, whether they have critical thinking skills or not, to be able to even weigh out the options, whether there's a God and whether he speaks to him through the Bible. You know what? That's a great point. Um, you know, I, I've thought, <clears throat> thought a lot about this. <clears throat> excuse me, as you know, and um, I think that the people who say, and a lot of Christians, and they're well-meaning perhaps, saying, you know, our business is to win souls and to and to preach the gospel of Christ and not worry about the culture at large. And I understand sometimes the, the thoughts that they're trying to come up with, but you know what? I thought, all right, if they would just set them down in a Muslim culture, now preach, and they're going to be very appreciative of the downfield <laughs> blocking that the Christian Christianity has given them, you know? That's right. That's right. And you know what? It's it's interesting that you say that. I mean, that that's part of that. <clears throat> I, I, I'm not really sure how we've been conditioned here, but, you know, when we have de-emphasized the Constitution, constitutional rights, whether declaration, how it came out to be, and the theology that's kind of involved there— We've de-emphasized that so much that we now have senior leaders that have been sworn to uphold that Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And yet, I've had them say they were fine with preachers getting arrested up in Canada for preaching against, you know, perversions and sexual immorality. And when that happened, they acted like, well, you know, my my children are, are part of that movement, and so I, I have no, no sympathy. And it's like, it's not up for you to have sympathy. It's up for you to, to uphold the Constitution, and Western yeah. civilization itself has, you know, kind of been founded on certain things that are these values of human rights and these rights at the very basics. I, I, I couldn't stand the fact that President Obama used to run around and talk about human rights, <clears throat> and yet the very basic, you know, rights that we talk about that really uphold a society is religion and speech, and yet they were ready to to just absolutely annihilate both. You know what, you, uh, on this freedom of speech and the the Canadian minister that you mentioned and people speaking against homosexuality and even arrested there, uh, that kind of is a good uh, causeway right here into what I wanted to talk about, and that is free speech. I mean, our our culture is based upon freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and we now have the proof I mean, it's solid proof that the government has been involved in suppression of free speech, censoring speech, suppressing ideas, not only because of its 
because of the the laws that they've created to protect big tech through the Federal Communications Act, but also because they've been colluding with the government, the FBI. I, I think this is incredible, and it, isn't it the onset of totalitarianism? Oh, easily, easily it is, right? And then, and part of our problem is we think in terms of left and right, you know. And every time you start bringing subjects up, people are thinking in left and right. And I try to, I try to clear all of the fog and friction of war out there on the on the open field of battle by saying, look, think of things as anarchy and tyranny, and everything that pushes the needle more towards tyranny. It doesn't matter. You don't want to say, well, fascism is on the other side. Well, no, you're mm-hmm. wrong. It's you know, it doesn't matter if you talk about Nazis, fascists, uh, you know, Marxists, social, you know, socialists. It's all on one side. It's towards the tyranny side. And when people don't understand that, they seem to be so less able to fight it and see it when it creeps its ugly head and starts, you know, kind of uh, getting around and getting its slimy claws into everything. And that's really what's happening is um, it's just, you know, I try. I talked to some friends that are that argue with me on this, and they said, well, you know, there's a lot of radical people on the right, Scott. And I said, well, there's a whole lot of problems with what you're thinking. That is that you think that, you know, eight guys in a trailer down in South Mississippi have anything to do with the national dialogue, the national direction of this country. They don't. They don't have, they don't have a political voice. Nobody's given them a political voice. They, they have no pull and influence. And yet we're talking about radicalism on the left, which is tyranny that have just either five or 10% of the population has dictated to the rest of the population what is taught in a kindergarten class, what is taught in a university, what is acceptable in corporate America. And it's just, it goes on and on and on. There's a huge difference. It's like, uh, it's just like, you know, my friend said, well, well, don't you despise uh, the things that you're talking about on the left? And I said, well, yeah, but I'm constrained by moral character. They're not. There's a big difference. It's yeah. like I'm not out there threatening them. I'm not out there trying to take their accounts down. I'm not out there trying to call in my local sheriff to, to arrest them at a PTA meeting. I'm not. There's yeah. a big difference. You know, he acted like, well, you know, hate is for hate and despising and despising, you know. And I said, no, there's a huge difference. There's people that are willing to use and do anything to gain power where some of us are at least willing to accept what you know, a free society is based on, and that is the constitutional rights and also constitutional constraints over the government, which now we see is totally out of control, and there's not, there's not a constitutional constraint on this government. Scott, is it possible to redeem the FBI or any of these branches of government that are, that are involved in this censorship and this leftist this shutdown of America? Uh, I, I just think, wondered. I, mean, I hear people saying, well, uh, just to kind of cue you up more, uh, some people say, well, okay, uh, we need a, a reformation in the FBI. We need to clean out the top and blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking, I, I'm beginning to wonder if that's possible. Well, I don't think so, because really at the, the, at the bottom of it, with all the power and everything that they've been able to accumulate to themselves and gather to themselves, remember before that it was ideology. Ideology comes from the mind and the heart. That mind and the heart we gave away in the 1960s in the universities. That, that's, a, that's a gone, it's a done deal. That train has left the station, and that's the problem. So once you end up in a situation like this, 
um, it's really a matter of time. You know, I've always said that uh, when they continued to paint the uh, the conservative right, they said, well, they're they're violent, they're enemies to democracy, they're enemies to this, that, and the other, they're domestic terrorists. Well, it's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, you just keep kicking at somebody and keep kicking at them until they start fighting back, and then you're going to see them pointing and saying, oh, well, look at that. See, those guys over there got violent. Hmm. Even though, you know, even though everybody was able to live through the summer of mostly peaceful demonstrations of burning down 22 cities in the United States and <laughs> you know, all the pillaging that went on. I mean, that's that's a different story. But, boy, when, you know, some some radical guy gets out there and does something in the name of, you know, whatever, and they, they're just like, see, we told you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, well, if you if you hadn't have fired him from his job, taken, down, taken his accounts away and, uh, you know, made him, persona non grata in society and started, you know, tracking everything he bought and taking away his freedom of speech and all that, maybe, maybe he wouldn't have been radicalized. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know that. I remember stepping into the United States Northern Com for the first time in Northcom, and they said, uh, they said, well, these poor, these poor Middle Eastern guys, they've just been radicalized because, uh, because they've been disenfranchised, you know, around, and I thought, well, well, okay, so uh, but now you wait till you wait until you disenfranchise the people, the the constitutional, uh, you know, freedom lovers. You disenfranchise them enough, one guy comes, ra- you know, gets radicalized. And you're not going to hear that excuse. You're not going to yeah. hear, well, they've been disenfranchised. We haven't let them. We haven't let them into the party. We took away their union <laughs> card or whatever. I mean. <clears throat> That is an excellent point. I haven't even thought about that. That is excellent. <laughs> hey, listen, Scott, let's take a break again. And uh, we're coming back. We'll talk with us, uh, Colonel Scott Lockwood uh, just a few more minutes, and then the program will be finished. You know, um, Scott, I, I, you know, we have such great time, and we only have a couple of minutes left here. But, I, you know, i just thinking about our culture collapsing, and I had a whole segment last week on homosexuality and talking about, you know, that mums the word anymore with pulpits even. And it's very sad. But one of the things that we like at Christmas time, are the, I used to, the Hallmark movies, the Christmas Hallmark movies, but we're just always so offended anymore with homosexual couples put in there. And I just think, what in the world? What's going on? Well, you know, they, it's, worked, it's worked so well for them. I mean, they've got a very, very powerful political lobby. They're, uh, they're, they're ingrained in the uh, entertainment industry. And, you know, they said long ago that we were going to, you know, desensitize and we're going to get you to laugh at it and we're going to get you to accept it and then we're going to do this, that, and the other. And they've just kind of been marching along and they've gotten away with everything and it's worked very well. I mean, it's been an incredible campaign, propaganda campaign, and you can watch just the the individuals as, as all of the polls come out all the time and their surveys come out on uh, on thoughts about that, but... Uh, it gets to a point, just like anything else, that we kind of throw away really the raw data. You know, even in the Ivy League schools, um, when they when they uh, say interview homosexual men and they and they ask them on these surveys these questions, forty six to sixty percent of these men are willing to admit that they were molested as children. Now, I know me. Me and my friend, when we went to college, you know, from Arizona, we went out to California. We were both kind of balding and already losing our hair. And there's a big joke out there like, hey, what's, what's wrong with the water in Arizona? <laughs> if you found out that 46 to, 46 to 60% of all the men coming out of Arizona are bald, then you'd go, you know what? That's not just a natural thing. That's, there's some cause and effect here. Let's get to the bottom of this thing. But when it, when it, 
comes to uh, lustful behavior and, uh, and sexual promiscuity and all that, there is no thoughts. There's no there's no thinking. It, that all of that is buried now. And there's even worse data that that came out of the Catholic Church at one time about the suicide rates of altar boys and all that. But it's just all of that's buried. That's the you know nobody wants to hear about that. They're just going to try to you know continue to normalize yeah. it, even though. If you were to attend a parade down there at DuPont Circle, you would hear them bring back the lions. They would be chanting and screaming, bring back the lions, with all kind of vile things on their sign. And yet then they want to turn around and stand there and sheepishly look at you and say, well, we're just like anybody else. It's about love. And you think, well, I didn't even start with love with the girls that I dated. It wasn't love. It was, you know, there was an attraction, a physical attraction first, and then I fell in love with a girl that I married. So it's not... I can't stand there at the end of it and yeah. say, well, it was all about love. It was, it was about attraction, and it's about sexual attraction. It's about physical things, and it's about lust, and it's about all these things that come long before love. Oh. And so it's mm-hmm. just a, a really sad. But that's the way, you know, America will think in bumper sticker mentalities, whatever they're told, you know, whatever is the mantra yeah. out there, like mostly peaceful protests, and that that's all they'll hear or insurrection you know and that's why that word was thrown around because what you and i talked about earlier because that is uh, they're getting ready they're getting the public softened up and ready for you know federal forces to be used against the population and that's that's why they're using that word but anyway well scott listen that's my thoughts on it no listen i'm so glad to hear your thoughts on this and listen i want you to have a merry christmas and uh you, you fell in love with the right girl. Boy, uh, Kelly is just a wonderful, wonderful woman, and you have a great family. Just love being with you and your family, and to pray for you all the time. So I hope you have a Merry well, Christmas. I appreciate that, Bill. You bet. You bet. Everybody, you and yours. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> okay. <laughs> say howdy to you and yours. All right. All right. We'll see you later, Scott. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.